The thoughts, views, and opinions expressed by us are ours and do not reflect those of our employers, co-workers, family, or friends. While we have conversations about various topics, any mentions of drugs, sex, religion, politics, and the like that offends anyone should be considered satire and for entertainment purposes only. And yes, we can get a little toxic. So if you're easily triggered, have unresolved trauma, can't take a joke, or don't enjoy adult conversations, you've been warned. Listener discretion is advised. We hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, man, listen, I never get tired of that disclaimer. And I'll be honest, it's what gives me the freedom, the liberty to express my thoughts. Shout out to the disclaimer. How you doing, okay. SNL? I'm just going to go ahead and co-sign on that because I know our last show apparently had some folks upset. So um, please, <laughs> please pay attention to the disclaimer. And um, if you're not willing to have this conversation or you're not willing to listen to the conversation, then this may not be the place for you. And Facts. we respect that. So please notice we'll refer back to the disclaimer. And Often. thank you for that. You know, I think that was a good choice with the way we kept adding stuff, you know, lessons mm -hmm. learned from the previous season. Um, yep. So now it's like this. This is good. We we covered. We covered. <laughs> Well, not only that, but I'm like, yo, listen, please listen to the entire segment at the very least. If you don't listen to the entire show, I get it. We put out these clips, obviously, to get people's attention or whatever. But some people be making comments. And I'm like, bro, did you see the entire clip? Maybe make a little bit more um, sense. We have to get past clip culture. If you have an opinion, it takes you a couple of minutes, man. Watch the full conversation in context and maybe you'll understand what's being said. You know what I'm saying? But with that being said... How was your week, girl? You know what I'm saying? A little birdie told me you was going back into the office a little bit. How you dealing with that commute, girl? So I got to admit, I'm not really used to it. You know, I believe that I was privileged. I'll, I'll acknowledge I was privileged to work from home for the past several years. Um, and so through, because of COVID and whatnot. And so going back into the office, I got I don't like it. <laughs> and then I also discovered something else, too. Um I'm a little antisocial, and so I purposely go somewhere where most of my team is not and where I don't know anybody. And usually I'm the person who really likes strangers. I'm, I'm the person where you say stranger danger, I ain't pay attention to that. And so <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry, mama. But um, <laughs> but. You know, and so for so this is a new thing for me, but driving in hour, five minutes or so, hour, 10 minutes or so, and just that whole commute adjustment and the stress of commuting. Plus, it was snowing. And apparently a lot of people are not used to really driving in the snow. I'm originally from Wisconsin. And while it's like it's just snow, it's like it's just a different version of rain. <laughs> Less visibility, perhaps, but we can do this. We got this. And so that kind of added to the frustration. But overall, um, it was interesting. I'll put it that way. Um, I'm required to go into the office. And so that means I will either have to suck this up and adjust or, well, I think that's pretty much the gist of this. I'm just going to have to suck this up and adjust. <laughs> what or about you? the podcast blows up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> then true, maybe we don't, true. right? Because we work on this from home. Um, true. But no, <laughs> I'm in kind of the same boat. Uh, it's about an hour commute. 
Um, it's a hybrid situation. Uh, you know, I just wonder, like, I wonder if companies really took the time to learn from COVID in terms of, like, did it affect productivity? Um, was, you know, employee satisfactions higher, right? Because for me, like, to drive one hour each way, that's two hours out of my day that I have to spend in the car, which I'm not really capable of doing anything else because I have to keep my eyes on the road. And so for me, I feel like I'm a lot more product productive at home, mm -hmm. right? I, I don't have to worry about getting dressed and, you know, the commute. I can just get straight to work, maximize the work day. And I think also for those of us who work from home, there's a piece of us that's like, you know what, I'm going to go extra so that nobody can question how hard I work, right? Because when you go into the office, which a lot of times there's people talking, you're having conversations, there's a social element. So even if you're there for eight, nine hours or whatever, you might spend about four just chit-chatting, water cooler talk or whatever. Whereas at home, you don't really have that distraction for the most part, right? You're going to put forth the most effort, I think, and be more productive. So I get it that some people will take advantage of working from home. Home, but I also feel like, by and large, those solid people who are there to do their job and do it at a very high level um, should be afforded the ability to work from home mostly, right? I get coming into the office every now and then, for sure, especially for like big meetings and so on and so forth. But I really do think it's just weird that companies kind of went back to what they were doing before COVID for the most part without you know, trying to learn what they should have learned from COVID to just improve on productivity, company morale, and so on and so forth. So I am a thousand percent with you. I prefer not to have to commute. I am social. It's just that by the time I get to the office after that commute, my social level is down because I'm, you know, pissed at other drivers on the road who've made my commute worse than it had to be. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, but one thousand percent. That's exactly my point. And so. I don't know. Um, at the end of the day, I realized a lot of this is they were talking about the organizational culture, that water cooler conversation you talked about, spoke on, um, is what they're trying to bring back. Apparently, they felt like there was some type of disconnect, along with every other reason that they provided to bring people back into the office. But, you know, now that we're back in the office, there seems to be a showing up of a certain type of individual that we see popping up nowadays. <laughs> I don't know if they're the, you know, back in the day, we used to call them like the office police, like the person uh, coming, making sure you're cubicle but um now i believe we can call them karens <laughs> yes yeah, so i'm i'm so glad you said that right because you're right one of the dangers so let me be clear and be fair there are some benefits to being back in the office right because it does build camaraderie you get to know people a little bit more mm -hmm. you're not necessarily just calling people on teams to chit chat so there certainly are benefits i'm not trying to say that i do think that it's unique to each company and their culture and whether it makes sense right but speaking of which right also, what makes sense is hiring for people that fit your culture to a certain extent, which may be hard to interview for culture. But I was talking to my homegirl who had a new um, employee at the job, and she was like, hey, I think this person might be a Karen. And I'm like, what you mean? Because I'll be honest, like for me, I thought the whole Karen thing was related to like white women and black men's interaction for the most part. So I guess the first question I have for you is, is like, is that true? Like, can a, is the Karen thing agnostic to gender? Right. Because I do feel like being a Karen is specific to race especially us as, as black people, but can a woman be a Karen to both men and women? So I personally believe that um, a woman can be a Karen to both men and women. And as a matter of fact, I actually believe the men version of Karen is called a Ken. And so um, I think we, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Barbie, but um, <laughs> so I, I think that, yes, that it could be both. And, um, the definition of Karen seems to change. I know that there was some uproar about some women who were named Karen and who took offense to the fact that their name became this representation of basically a 
white person, a particular white woman, sticking her um, nose into a place that didn't necessarily have to be stuck. Um, I guess that's how we can put it nicely. Um, well, whereas people were just existing, and I think that's where it started off originally, but I'm not quite sure. And so what's your take on that? Well, no, so I want to make sure I was clear, right? So the the white male version of a Karen is Ken, right? I do yes. agree with that. But what I was talking about was the interaction of said Karen with us, right? So I think you made it also clear, or you agreed that you can be, uh, she could be a Karen to a black woman and she could be a Karen to a white woman. Like most of the videos that I saw revolved around Karens acting a certain type of way towards black men. But I do get that, you know, she could still be a Karen. But I think what's important is how do we define what a Karen is, right? So before we get out of here and get to quick takes, um, what exactly, because for me, a Karen starts with, I think, a white woman or Ken, white man, who treats us a certain type of way, right? I think that treatment is based off of disrespect mm -hmm. or lack of respect, lack of appreciation for another person's humanity. I think it's mm -hmm. rooted in white entitlement, right? And then how does it show up? So if a person starts to show you that they don't respect you at your job, for example, without even really knowing you or without even seeing your work product, right? That might be a sign that person is a Karen, right? Um, I think that person's ability to bend reality to fit their narrative, right? So the guy who was running in the park at Central Park who you know ran into that white woman, despite the fact that he was recording, which I guess captured reality, she had a different take on it mm -hmm. in that moment, right? Hey, I'm gonna call the police type of thing. So I think, you know, weaponizing the their their whiteness their privilege right the idea that people are going to believe me over you despite the fact that we're recording because i'm white so i think to me those are the pillars right a lack of respect um a lack of seeing a person's humanity um i think the entitlement component and then feeling like despite what we're seeing with our own lying eyes that people will side with them um in any situation simply because they're white i mean do you agree with that kind of premise in terms of identifying a karen so I do agree and uh, 100%. <laughs> so yes, um, I will also add that usually it was reserved for dealing with black folks. And however, I believe the Brown Coalition has somewhat joined that conversation as well, <laughs> as they may have experienced some Karens. And okay. um, But as with all things that are co-opted by mainstream media, now everybody call anybody who exhibit any type of white privilege, so to speak, a Karen now. Mm. Um, so I've seen where somebody's recording and it's actually a, a white person on the other end doing the recording and telling this person to stop being a Karen. So my question is, is that a Karen check? You know? <laughs> Lord. Yeah, you're right. Well, popular culture will co-op co everything. Why don't it, like, can we have a Karen to ourselves or at least a phrase? You know, um, but listen, I don't want to belabor the point because we have a lot to get to as it relates to quick takes. You know what I'm saying? True. The main conversation, the last take of the day, of course, the his and hers. So before we go to the motivation or the quotes of the week and start the show, we want to remind you all out there who are tuning in with us to, you guessed it, like, subscribe, and follow. There's a little button right there. Do something mm -hmm. if you like the content. Of course, it supports us in growing the channel. So don't forget to what, US, um, s &M? Like, subscribe, follow, and share. So All of it. You know, it gets me like it, it costs you nothing to just hit that button one time or hit a couple of buttons. Like literally, if you go ahead and subscribe and like, 
you're done, two, three seconds. Then share, you're done, maybe five seconds, but it means so much to those of us who are creating content in this space. So please support us by liking, subscribing, and sharing. But let's go ahead and get this party started, y'all. The Williams sisters was told what to do since they was three or four years old, became the greatest um, tennis players in the world. Mm -hmm. Tiger Woods was told what to do since he was a kid, became the greatest golfer. Floyd Mayweather, since he was seven, was told what to do, became the greatest boxer the world's ever seen. Mm -hmm. Michael Jackson was told what to do mm. and became the greatest entertainer that's ever lived. Mm -hmm. My point being is I think that when people are given direction, their achievement in life is a lot better than having so much free time on their hands. All right, man, listen, always got to appreciate the word of the week at the top of the show. You already know, but let's get right into it with quick takes. The first thing we want to talk about today is Pharrell. Uh, Pharrell just had a fashion show. I guess he's like the creative director right now over at Louis Vuitton, if that's how you're supposed to say it. <laughs> and so it was all over the internet. Vuitton, you know? And uh, the, the key thing for me was that he had a pair of Timberlands. They looked like regular Timberlands, the wheat kind that you see the brothers from Brooklyn wearing. But like if you flip the tongue over, it had like the Louis V stuff inside the tongue. So I guess brothers who cop this expensive pair of Tims will make sure the tongue is hanging over because they want you to know it's Louis Vuitton. But he did have a lot of other pieces. I believe Shador and Shiloh Sanders were some of the male models for his presentation. So what do you think about Pharrell, man, you know, working with Louis Vuitton and uh, combining the Louis Vuitton <laughs> with Timberlands? Uh, so first, every time I hear Pharrell's name, I automatically think of that song, I'm So Happy, right? And so I'm assuming, exactly, so I'm assuming he's bringing that happiness and that joy to that line. And so congratulations to him. Shout out to him for um, stepping into that arena. I know that there's not a lot of... Um, Black designers in this particular space. And um, and so I'm just going to say congratulations. Um, shout out to him again and leave it at that. But you sounded really excited. So what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> I mean, just real quickly. Uh, well, first of all, I think I'm excited to see us in spaces where we can continue to bring the culture to pop culture. Right. But at the same time, like, brother, it's just a pair of Tim's. OK, what are we talking? About? You go that that markup on them pair of Tim's just because you want to have the Louis Vuitton logo go on the inside nigga please okay i'm good on that so i want to separate right i'm happy for pharrell and i also kind of feel like you know we often complain about not being in the room and he's in the room and he's bringing culture to i guess a luxury brand so kudos to pharrell and kudos to louis Vuitton and the rest in peace to virgil who i felt like was a trailblazer um specifically with that you know that brand so kudos to pharrell and, and he never gets old like oh benjamin right? button ass nigga but go Wait, what? <laughs> you know, the Pharrell looks you're like Pharrell's aging backwards, okay? <laughs> and so he came out there. I'm like, is he getting Botox? You know? <laughs> I mean, but they say black don't crack, but there's a difference <laughs> between black not cracking and then aging backwards, old Benjamin Button Dance. Now it's all love, all jokes. Shout out to Pharrell for doing this thing for sure. So uh, first, I did like that movie, Benjamin Button. I thought it was a great take on that. And yes, black don't crack. Um, and so... <laughs> But speaking of cracking, though, unfortunately, there seems to have been a crack. 
Okay. <laughs> I shouldn't okay. Even say this. I shouldn't even say this. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Refer to the disclaimer. Okay. Just refer okay. to the disclaimer. But um, there seems to be a crack in Diddy. <laughs> Um, he's not having the best weeks, you know. So recently he, uh, so, well, let me take this back. He had an up and down week, so to speak. So the first thing is that he ended up selling his lawsuit with um, his tequila partnership. And um, his lawsuit was, it was a racist lawsuit um, pertaining to racism, basically where he thought that they typecast his tequila brand, um, which is for um, Ciroc, by the way. Well, Ciroc is a vodka brand. Deliana Tequila. As an avid drinker, Yes, I got to make that clear. Ciroc is the vodka, the, tequila, you know what? You're right. which is De Leon, and I believe it was Diego, which was it the was name Diego. of the company that he was partnered with to market and promote those brands for sure. What? This is how you know I really don't drink. And although I actually wrote down Diego. Mm-hmm. Nick, like, I got to keep her on her toes. I see this now. I mean, these are facts <laughs> are just the facts. I mean, what more do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> Tiny's well, meme, but go ahead. So the Leon, the Leon tequila uh-huh. um, brand, um, basically, said, he said they treated him poorly and treated because it was, he was black and he felt that he was typecasted. And so the good news for him is he ended up winning the case. And or yeah, I, I won't say it. winning the case. It actually went to a settlement, mm-hmm. and um and so they agreed to part ways, and so that was good. The unfortunately, the bad side, the bad news from this week was that his invitation to the Grammys apparently was rescinded. Now I'm going to say this: uh, while his he received a nomination for best progressive R and B album for the Love album off mm-hmm. the grid. However, after three additional women accused Diddy of basically sexual abuse, um, there was conversation from the Grammys and I mean from <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, from the Grammys in regards to whether or not um he should be able to attend the Grammys. There was actually there were conversations where they were evaluating it. Um and so before they rescinded it. And this is why I said, even though they they said he rescinded it, before they rescinded it, they actually said the rep for the rapper reached out and stated he would not attend. And so I'm not sure, once again, if this was before or after he heard that his invite was going to be rescinded. And um, But this has been quite a week for him, and the hits keep coming. So what are your thoughts on this? Well, my first thought was, this is supposed to be quick takes. <laughs> so that was a, a not-so-quick breakdown to the story, which is fine. <laughs> But I couldn't help myself. Um, just real quickly, I think most people probably surmise that he would not be making an appearance at the Grammys. Um, I believe this is like his first nomination. and But at the same time, the, the block is hot. You know what I'm saying? When the block is hot, you lay low, okay? So it didn't take whether it was the Grammys who decided or Puffy who decided. Right now, he's in lay low mood. We, we may not see Puffy until 2029, right? So whatever. You know what I'm saying? That's how low. Yeah, he's going to have to lay low for a while, okay? And so I get that. I don't think anybody was surprised. Um, in regards to the settlement, I don't know if there was a lot of details, right? Because, you know, Puff has really invested and helped to elevate those brands, right? And so I do think I heard him early on speaking about how they just didn't really invest in the brand. And, and I think there's a lot of truth there. But I just want to point out real quickly that I heard some conspiracy theories. And I'm a conspiracy theorist to a certain extent because I feel like this has been less than, what, a couple of months, maybe a few weeks mm-hmm. after he settled a case with Cassie. And so there's some people in the conspiracy tinfoil hat um, universe out there that believes that there's 
some correlation between Cassie's and some of these other lawsuits and whether or not he settled with Diego, right? Because there is an argument to be made that in the weakened position that he's in right now, especially from a public perception standpoint, that doesn't make sense for that doesn't make sense for him to continue with that case, even if he has a strong one, right? And so I do think there's some potential truth to that. I'm not going to go all the way tenfold hat, but I do think that uh, that's the conversation that's happening. I can understand why. And even though what he may have did or has allegedly done is horrendous and throw the book at him if that's the case, right? We don't know, but if that's the case, but I think we can separate whether or not as a mogul at the time, it's not like Diego knew about any of these cases, well, maybe until recently, right? But they were doing business with him. He was a tastemaker and he helped to make them a lot of money. So I just hope that maybe he was compensated in that settlement, but uh, there's a lot going on and I'm sure we probably won't really see Diddy outside, outside until like 2033, okay? <laughs> but, <laughs> Not to add four, four more years to that, 2029 to 2033, four that's quite a, uh, yeah. so. All right, so moving right along real quickly. So Tim Scott, I know we talked about him, you know, on the other pod last year, but apparently Tim Scott, who dropped out of the race, right? He was in there for a hot minute, had a little girl on his arm, pretend a girl, right? For whatever, right? But he's dropped out. Anyways, he's now endorsing Trump so much so that I think he's touring with and touting Trump, even though Trump is in a world of issues between indictments and cases and so on and so forth. He just won, I believe, the Iowa caucuses or whatnot. So what are your thoughts about the brother, Tim Scott? Uh, endorsing the other and uh, also in, uh, touring with him and Trump. So what can I say about Tim Scott I, that I didn't say in the previous season besides him being a clown? But um, <laughs> And so this is what I find fascinating is that Tim Scott continues this course of action. And um, from my understanding, even his position where he was appointed, there was some Nikki Haley conversation pertaining to that. And he ended up, so Nikki Haley was actually upset that um, he jumped on the bandwagon to support Trump. But my question was, why? Why are you surprised? And more importantly, did you know that Trump was polling like 17 percent with black voters right now, particularly, predominantly with black men? And so I found that quite interesting. So maybe Tim Scott is that token that he needs to say, yo, my brothers, I got you. I don't know, man. Listen, I, I'm tired of Tim Scott. I'm tired of Trump. Um, and there's a lot of like people who are not politically savvy, who are being marketed to a certain type of way. So this is not a political podcast and maybe we'll do a political podcast as we get closer uh, to the election season, but you're absolutely right. He's a absolute clown. And, um, but the funny thing is, I don't know how many of us really relate to Tim Scott, really. Like, it's, you know what I mean? So if Donald thinks that he's going to be a benefit to him, good luck. Uh, but who I am not looking forward to the election year. That's all I will say on this map. Well, then, on a brighter note, is it, a brighter on, note? it is a brighter <laughs> note, and okay. it's a it's a uh, it's also about a black man in a predominantly white space as well. So, mm. Jared Mayo, he is the first black coach of New England Patriots. Jared Mayo, what? No, it's okay. We can. <laughs> I mean, if I had to bet on either one of us in the proper pronunciation of this name, you're going with what you said, Jared, and I'm going with Gerard. 
<laughs> you know ahead. what? The black version would be Gerard, right? <laughs> I mean, it says Black Lives Chatter. But right? his last name is Mayo. So I don't know if it was a compromise on the name, you know. <laughs> and so... So basically, you're just saying, I'm batting zero on these quick takes right I, I now. Don't, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there to cover both sides. Leave leave it in the comments. Is it pronounced Jared or Gerard? <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, he recently was asked a question about dealing with racism. And so first, I just want to say congratulations and give him a shout out for that. And so for his question. Hold on, shout out for what? Which, what are we giving a shout out for? Oh, I'm giving him a Not shout out. Not for the racism. Out. No, uh-huh. I'm giving him a shout out for being the first black coach for the New England Patriots. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Maybe I didn't hear that part, but we want to highlight that Jared or Gerard Mayo is the first black head coach of the New England Patriots, the same Patriots that won, I believe, six championships um, between Bill, with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. So that Patriots, Gerard or Jared Mayo, is now the... Uh, <laughs> Come on, coach. his last name is Mayo. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let me stop. But anyways, during this interview, they asked him about how he dealing with racism. And he said that the way he dealt with it is that he acknowledged that he do see color because if you don't see color, you can't see racism and fix the problem. And so he that was his advice to those folks who claim to be colorblind. And he was like, you have to see color. Otherwise, how can you confront the issue? How can you address the issue? And he encouraged people that when they see racism, basically to address it and confront it. And so what are your thoughts on this? No, I agree with him. Yeah, besides the name thing, yeah, I know. Um, No, I agree with him wholeheartedly in terms of how to approach it. I do get that people who feel like they're colorblind or who say that are trying to say that they don't really judge people or base their opinions on people based off of color. So there's a very nuanced conversation there. But I do think, and I think those people mean well, but I do also feel like from our position and from his position, it is important to acknowledge it, right? Because that's the only way that you can, I think Martin Luther King once said that you can't drive out darkness with darkness. You Only light Mm -hmm. can do that, right? So shining a light on these issues is super, super, super important. And the last thing I'll say, too, is it's not a surprise, you know, for the history of sports, if you will, in America, especially around the Boston or the New England area, has had a history of being a little racist to a certain extent, even when they were winning championships with Bill Russell as their player coach, for example. Mm-hmm. It was heavy, you know, back in the 60s. So Boston, the you know, the New England area, I'm not saying everybody in that area is racist, right? But it's not a surprise that you have that, those elements. And unfortunately, sports tends to be like the last area, if you will, in society where people People can kind of heckle you or make fun of you or disagree with you or hate on you. And it's just kind of seen as part of like the general sports landscape, but it becomes dangerous or problematic when it's also laced with racism. It's one thing for me to hate you that because you played for the other team. But if you're the coach of my team, you would hope that the people would embrace that coach and wish them success. And I think sometimes you start to see that some people um, aren't that fluid when it comes to what their head coaches should look like. And it ends up showing up. And I think he's dealing with some of that but shout out to him and i hope he does an amazing job and it's just crazy in 2024 we're still having these first so to speak right but it is what it is um and i just tip my cap to him and i wish him nothing but the best likewise anything you want to add on that before we get about here <laughs> no i you said it um everything i actually wish him the best um i like the fact that he's confronting it heads on um he's not being it's not he's not basically trying to sugarcoat the issue and he's addressing it head head on. So I give him kudos for that as well. 
Yes, 1,000%. Well, listen, that was quick takes, right? Now let's get into the main conversation, okay? We have a lot to talk about, so hopefully we'll run through it, right? The first thing that we want to talk about is Dez Bryant. I saw a clip of Dez recently. He was on The Pivot. And, um, you know, he read like I think it was a poem or something that really talked about breaking generational curses. Let's go to that clip real quickly. and We'll come back and talk about it on the other side. Let me read something. It's been on my phone for about since I met y'all. It's probably been like six years. You know? To say uh, break, break generational curses. Quit yelling at your kids before they go to bed and expect them to sleep well. Quit yelling at your kids in the morning right after they wake up for school and expect them to have a good day. You set the tone for your children. You set the tone for, you, you set the tone for your voice. They will always remember in their heads. You become the inner voice. Don't be the inner critic. Speak life. Speak love. Speak bravery, kindness, and hope. Speak wisdom and truth. Most of all, listen to your children. I never had none of that. I get that to mine. And that's my number one priority. That's, I follow that. That's how I break it. And, um, you know, so, and I do it. I live it. I live it. Now, what I loved about what Des was talking about in that clip was that as parents, especially for me, being a newer parent, you're more of like the OG parent, right? But it's talking, he was talking about breaking generational curses as it relates to our kids, right? And I really liked what he said because sometimes we have experiences through our upbringing that we then kind of passed down to our children, right? So if you were raised in a single family home, um, maybe your mom didn't have a man in the home and maybe she just wasn't sure of how to relate to a man and a daughter is seeing that, right? Or worse off, the son is is absorbing the negativity or the hurt or the trauma that the mom went through, right? And so how does he then move on to build his own family, right? And obviously here at the pod, uh, you know, we're very family oriented. So what are your thoughts about what he had to say and just this idea of generational curses? So I think it was powerful. And uh, and the reason why is because I 100% agree with it. And um, the, it's true that we should be focusing on breaking generational curses. I came from a home and um, it didn't start off <laughs> as a single mother household. We'll put it that way. <laughs> and um, and so the I would just say there's a lot of pressure on the previous generation. And so this our generation and the generation after us is taking the time to understand the emotional toll that our parents had on us. And we're also starting to understand the emotional toll that their parents had on them. And so I would say that setting the tone for your kids in the morning is very important. That inner voice that he spoke about is true because I can honestly say that there was time when my inner voice did sound like my mother or my inner voice did sound like my father. And um, and so criticizing them, constantly criticizing them, constantly yelling at them, um, set your kids up for failure because now they, it can turn into there's actually like studies that show what happens when you're constantly criticizing a child. You're constantly yelling at them and so forth. So you should speak love into the kid's life. You should speak life into your child's life, kindness and bravery. I even love the words that he spoke for it. Um, into your children. And as a parent, I try to do this. Like you said, I'm a OG parent. My son is in college. And, but I got to admit, it may be easier said than done. <laughs> there are times when I did yell at my son. <laughs> there are times when he actually needed to be yelled at. But I think the biggest part is that if you do yell at your child, right? If you do 
don't do it first thing in the morning. Like, why are you setting them up for failure at the beginning of the day by coming at them with either some critique or some argument or whatever the case may be? Don't do that first thing in the morning. Second, if you do have a problem with that child and whatnot, then have that conversation as to why. So my son, um, um, <laughs> he's used to me. So if I have a problem with him, and even if I yell, I always come back and explain the situation, what happened, how it made me feel. I ask him how it made him feel. And then I ask how we can work to make it better? What can we do to make this situation better? And if it's something that we can't do to make it better, then it's like, what's the next course of action? And so I love the fact that he opened up about it. I love the fact that he was emotional about it. And I love the fact that he's an active father in his children's lives. Yeah, 1000%. And speaking to that, I think there's a perception of Des Bryant because he was a mercurial wide receiver, right? Immensely talented. His career was cut short um, due to injuries. And so it's really good. I, I really like the Pivot podcast and watching these guys come on there because they do create a safe space for men, fellow athletes to have really good conversations and feel vulnerable enough to have, you know, the conversation that they had. So kudos to the Pivot, Ryan Clark and the entire team. And shout out to Des Bryant for showing that side of him. Um, with me being a new parent, uh, my son is two years old. I constantly constantly am thoughtful about how I was raised, the environment, the the home, and how the choices I make affects how he was raised, right? So for me, my mom, you know, and dad split up when I was like preteens, right? Um, and in a way, I was kind of happy because my dad was definitely, excuse me, a disciplinarian. And so thinking that that would remove that aspect from my life, but he would come over and still whip my ass when needed, right? So that wasn't totally the case. Um, But for the most part, I did have both parents. And there were times like my cousin, you know, would be jealous because he grew up with just his mom. And he'd be like, hey, at least you have a dad. And so I I grew up ultimately appreciating that my father was there, even if he wasn't full-time in the home after a certain point. And I also got to tip my cap to my mom because she never really bad-mouthed him to the best that she could. Um, And so she, you know, so I did still have my father and I think my mom did a great job of shielding us from some of the the trauma and the pain that she was dealing with. But some of that still did affect me. Right. I think there was times where she might have been a little cold to a certain extent or distant to a certain extent. And so I think how that affected me was, you know, seeking that attention from women, much in the same way where if a daughter is raised in the home and, um, you know, the father's not there. She may find herself seeking attention from men from all over the place, right? They may not be healthy. And luckily for me, I was able to kind of not only deal with that, but, you know, my my appetite for women was obviously, you know, in terms of appreciating a woman's body and what she brought to my life, right? So I, I honestly don't know if I feel bad about that outcome necessarily, but I do get how for some people that could turn um, and become something that's problematic. And so I say all that to say that for me, looking at my son, I do make it a point because because my dad was not there, and my mom was too busy working. I don't think she had enough time to pour into me and to compliment me and to build up my ego or to make sure that like what was going on in school, um, we didn't have a lot of money. So we grew up poor and not being able to go into extracurricular activities. I mean, who knows, right? Could I have played basketball? Could I have played sports? Could I have been in that? You know, there's a lot of things that I look back on. And so for me now as a parent, because I think most of the generational curse for us was financial which is why I think it's important, right? I look at my life now and see how we're able to provide for our son. I mean, he goes to Aquatots, you know, he swims. We spend money for Aquatots monthly for a two-year-old to kind of learn how to swim, right? These are things that I was not afforded growing up. So I think many of us um, who are aware now, who are going through therapy, who are healing, right? We recognize the shortcomings and hopefully we've forgiven our parents too, right? Mm -hmm. I think the best way to forgive them, if you will, is just to do better with 
our kids, right? And understand where, you know, we are we were traumatized and how we're passing that down. But I also think sometimes we go too far to try to make up, right? And that can also create challenges, right? If you grew up poor and now you want to spoil the hell out of your children and they grow up to be spoiled entitled to people, then that's going to hurt them in the long run. So it is, I think, a constant, um, you know, uh, looking inward, um, being mindful of, of how we talk to our kids, how we treat our kids, how we build our kids up. Because it's hard enough being black. And the last thing we want to do is to continue to hurt our children's chances of being successful because we hindered them mentally mm. and emotionally because we haven't chosen to heal from the things that affected us and how we showed up for our kids. So kudos to Des and kudos to those guys. It was definitely a great conversation for sure. So low key, I think that mental and emotional well-being of your children um, actually has contributed to the relationship divide that we see today, um, because there are a lot of people who are not taking that time to heal that damage and that trauma from that relationship um, with their parents, either their mother mm. or their father. And so that's why it amazes me that people are still pressuring or asking Nick Cannon, uh, what do he think about having his 13th child? I'm like, wait. The man already has 12. <laughs> he yeah. already has a legacy. <laughs> yeah. And and so, and um, just coming off of that entire conversation, it was like, why? First of all, why are we asking if he's having any other kids? <laughs> um, but regardless of that, recently he um, did an interview where they asked him, well, would you consider having another child? Is another child in the plan? Is it in the works? And he said he didn't have any plans in the near future. So I'm sure that made some of those baby mamas happy because he's probably pretty spread thin and sharing that Nick Cannon special type of love. And so... <laughs> And rather he gets that, get um, get to see his kids. So they say he's still an active father. And so I, I give him kudos for being as active as he can possibly be and for taking those steps to bring as many of those baby mamas together um, or at least in the same vicinity with housing and so forth so that the kids is easier. I believe he did it to make it easier <laughs> for not only for him, but also for the kids to get to know each other. And so... Um, I will say this. I appreciate the fact that he even had jokes himself about it and saying, well, ain't 12 enough. So what are your thoughts uh, if he was to have a 13th kid? Well, listen, he already has a starting lineup for the offense, right, in football. We were just talking about Dez, right, who's a football player. There's 11 people on each side of the ball, right, offense and defense for a total of 22 people. If he keeps this up, he'll be able to have a starting defensive group and a starting offensive group, right? <laughs> he low-key already has enough kids for a basketball team. I think there's like 12 people on the basketball team with five starters, okay? He got starters and he got bench players on deck, okay? So, but listen— <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of interesting because I think the conversation for Nick Cannon is around he has money, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's where it starts. It's, there are men out here who are not famous, who are not rich, who have abundance, right? And even like going back in the day, right? Our grandparents or that generation in times, they were having more kids, right? Now, you know, hopefully it was with one family, right? We've heard stories of families who have like 10, 11 brothers and sisters living like in a small shack type of situation. So, I mean, that happened. But the fact that he's doing it the way that he's doing it, right? Because obviously we're pro-marriage. 
And we believe there are benefits that come with being married. And so, yes, Nick was married to Mariah. I think he had his first two kids, uh, or mm-hmm. at least two kids with her. And so since then, he's gone on to have more kids with women that he's not married to. And it's not exactly clear that there's a long-term relationship plan for these women, right? And so I do understand people's concerns about how he's being spread thin, like you said earlier. Like, can you be a father just because you have finances? I do think that finances go a long way, right, in augmenting because you can afford for you know to pay for AAU. You can afford for private tutors, right? You can afford to for private planes. So in terms of being able to, hey, I got a meeting at 8 p.m. on the East Coast, but I got to see my kid on the West Coast. He at least has the resources in a way that a lot of parents do not, right? Even with my case where both of my parents for the time that they were together, but my dad worked like crazy hours. There were times that I would not see him for days. Like if, unless I stayed up late, you know, he'd come home and he was just a regular dude working in a mechanic spot. You dig what I'm saying? But he had to work. And so- Forget the 13 kids, for example, when people say, oh, does he have enough time for his kids? Sometimes just having to work means our parents don't have time for us as their kids, right? And even as parents, you know, with all that I have going on, I have to make it a point to spend time with my son, right? Because I don't want to be a situation where I'm absent, right? And so I do get the concerns overall, but listen, he's living his life. Um, They're all adults. Uh, They're making these decisions. Um, Hopefully they have strong family support. So these women have, you know, parents and brothers and sisters who can kind of build a tribe and a village around these kids. Hopefully Nick has that as well. I can only imagine that if his mom or his dad or his, his, you know, people are still in his life that uh, it's a lot for them to do to kind of keep up with all of those kids, right? But at the same time, I think when you have resources, it does make it a little easier. And I do understand that people feel like, hey, that's not enough. But even without having that many kids, many of us are struggling to spend time with our kids. So at least this man has resources and kudos to him if he's able to corral all these different women to kind of be on the first page. You know what I'm saying? You know how like they say Soldier Boy was the first rapper. Nick Cannon is the first rapper to have his own association of baby mamas. Like low key, they could all get together. They could have a bylaws. You know what I'm saying? They could kind of figure out who can see what, work out scheduling. You know what I'm saying? Kudos to him. You know what I mean? Like if you can set that up and get it off, you know what I mean? And everybody seems to be okay, no problem. But I'm not going to sit here and hate on him because it's not ideal the way that I think it needs to be because I don't have as much money as he does. So what the fuck am I going to really say about it? You know what I mean? Not how I would move, but she, you know, maybe if I did have some bread, I'd probably, never mind. But go ahead, SNL. <laughs> so just out of curiosity, though, what do you think? And I think we kind of touched on this previously, but what do you think about the fact that a lot of the uproar pertaining to this, uh, pertaining to Nick Cannon, was the creation of those single mother homes? And um, especially since the way people act and treat single mothers. And so what do you think about the whole concept of the fact that these women are single mothers? And But technically, are they single mothers if Nick Cannon is still involved? And can you be a single mother if the father is actually involved? Is it just simply a status because the father is not living in the house? Yes. And so. I think that's where it starts, right? And because but you can be married and then get divorced, right? And so, but if the father's still active, you technically are still a single mother, right? So again, I don't know the relationship dynamics. If Nick Cannon had all these women like in a polygamous relationship with him, would there be a problem there, right? Meaning that, hey, like I'm trying to isolate for what the issue is, right? So if it's a matter of all of us living in the same house, I don't know that's what's happening right now. So I totally can mm-hmm. get when that's problematic. Um, for us, obviously we're pro-marriage, right? And we believe the ideal situation, particularly if both parents are healthy or healthy enough, is for it to be 
all in the same roof, right? So for saying they all need to be in the same roof, that's not the case here, but okay, there are people who get divorced and are no longer on the same roof and the fathers or the mothers are still present in their kids' lives, still active and still be able to support them. So, I mean, for me, I try to live and let live. I do understand the challenges though, to a certain extent, but I also, and I'll say this, I hate the single mother conversation because single mothers are finding men who will love them and their kids every day, B. Facts. Like there's this conversation that's like makes it seem like being a single mom or either even being a stepdad is the worst thing in the world. And I mean, I'm not with that. I don't I don't buy into that. I think it's stupid. You know what I'm saying? You meet a woman who's amazing and maybe she also has a kid. Who knows? That kid could be amazing. Maybe you don't have any kids. Maybe you have a kid of your own. and You don't want any more kids. Right. There's a lot of different ways that I think blended families, modern families can work to the benefit of everyone. Right. So with those women. I don't know if he has a clause in their contract that says they can't marry or be with other men. And that would be kind of crazy, Nick, if that's what you're doing out here in these streets. But I feel like if it's an open situation where they're able to find love and build that, they still can, right? And that man just has to be comfortable with the fact that she has Nick Cannon's baby. But I think there are ways that it can work. I just hate the conversation because it's not based in reality. Single mothers getting married every day, B. And that may not be for you, and that's okay. But to like discredit or to try to convince other people that they shouldn't do something that I think mm-hmm. inherently is beneficial, right? For both that woman, that child, and even that man to a certain extent. They're like, get the fuck out of here. Again, these fucking pathetic internet losers, man. <laughs> this one's for you. But <laughs> So it goes back to that healing, right? right. Where, that we talked about that you need to heal that emotional trauma and inside you, that pain that may came from having that single mother or not having your father present in your life or whatever the case may be. Just get that healing so that we can stop that conversation about single mothers bad. And when reality, yes, there are some before folks come at me. Yes, there has been some clear indication that folks who came from single parent home had negative consequences. But if you as a person know that there's negative consequences, then technically you can control that by not contributing to the problem. Wrap it up. And in the case of what the men say, close it up, which I technically disagree. <laughs> when they're like, close them legs. <laughs> and I want to tell you why I technically disagree. Okay. Because it puts the onus only on the woman, right? When it takes two to tango. And um, so just like she can close the legs, you can wrap it up. You have seed control, whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, if you have a problem with single parents, single mothers in particular, then don't be a part of the process of creating that. Baby oh. mama drama. So you kind of opened up a little can that I want to go down a little bit because I'm feeling a little toxic this today. Um, it's not the same between men and women, right? A woman can get pregnant and have to, you know, uh, have that child at some point if she chooses to have it, right? It's going to be in her body for nine months. The consequences of said choice is not equal, right? So I do agree we need to tell both men and women, hey, you wrap it up, you close your legs. But oftentimes, I feel like I hear women complaining the most, and I feel like that's because they find themselves holding the bag a lot. So imagine that you got with a dude, you didn't close your legs, right? And he didn't wrap it up, and he's a fucking loser, right? And so you don't believe in abortion, and so now you have a baby, right? You can go to court all you want to. You try to extract whatever funds all you want to, but if he's a deadbeat, you know, not accountable ass nigga, then guess what? You still are going to be sitting there complaining about, you know, why he ain't doing his part, right? Did you, so what I'm saying is that in that moment, 
is a matter of, well, why didn't somebody tell him to wrap it up? No, sis, like you are going to left, be left holding the bag. So I do think while, yes, both sides need to be told, you know, hey, wrap it up, close your legs. But the impact of these choices affect women so much more. And I mean, so so the idea that it's like it's equal parts, it's not because the consequences are not equal. Right. And so I just think it's important. I'm an advocate of just women protecting themselves. You know what I'm saying? Making really good decisions and not leaving it up to some nigga just because he's cute and he got a good talk game. Right. We women have to make better choices. Women are now more empowered in 2024 to be able to make, make better choices. OK, so you want equality or equity, then cool. Right. But I think when you're talking about reproductive, for example, where a man has really limited to no rights in terms of how she makes choices with her own body, it can't be my body, my choice. And then try to equate that to a brother who, you know, doesn't have as much choice as she has when it comes to to sex and even bring that child into the world. So I just got to push back on that. That wasn't too toxic, though. So, I'll no, it was next. not too toxic. It wasn't too toxic because basically you're saying that the women need to be accountable for their choices as well, because at the end of the day, they're going to bear the burden. And I agree with that part. Uh, my only pushback to your pushback <laughs> is that. Even though the woman has the carries the burden of the weight once conception occurs, Mm -hmm. they both carry that burden before conception occurs. And so that goes to them both making the appropriate choice. And but I understand where you're coming from in regards to that. The woman at the end of the day will carry that burden. So therefore, she should be a bit more considerate because it is her body and she's carrying the burden. And so she should make sure have that accountability to make sure that, hey, I don't want to get pregnant. I don't want to be a single mother. But that's also assuming that some of these women aren't in relationships or that these men haven't asked for that or these men haven't presented themselves a certain way. And so. I will just say that, yes, women have accountability, particularly once conception occurs. However, accountability rests equally on both parties before the act even begins. Okay, I'm going to disagree with that, too, just because I'm going to push back <laughs> to your to my pushback. I'm going to push back to your pushback on my pushback to your. <laughs> I'm getting so confused. It's pushing back. <laughs> before you know it, I'll be in the other room. <laughs> but but I will say, right, uh So sex happens and you can wear a condom, right? From the male's perspective, right? That's one of the number one ways that men can protect themselves, right? Can you, can you tell me how many more ways there are for women to protect themselves, right? And that's number one, right? Not just from STDs. That was actually a rhetorical question because the fact of the matter is, is that women have way more options as it relates to the child side, right? We're not talking about diseases. Let me, let's move that to the side for a little bit. If we're talking about single mothers, right? You can take a pill, right? To, to stop you from getting pregnant. You can get something implanted in you to stop you from getting pregnant. There are physical devices that you can implant that stops you from getting pregnant. There's also a um, that plan B in case you slip up and then you want to kind of terminate things, right? There's also female condoms, okay? So even when you're talking about the act, right? My job as the man is trying to penetrate, right? And get in there, okay? And shoot the club up. But you as a woman have every opportunity all the different tools and resources to put your bulletproof vest on, right? So, and especially knowing, right? Because even down to like when you when you when you bring in diseases, women are more apt to actually catch diseases when it comes to certain things as well, right? So, I'm only pushing back on that as equal. I think yes, um, both sides need to be told a thing. 
And I think maybe that's the difference between equality and equity, right? Yes, both sides need to be told the thing, but I don't think it's equal in terms of the outcome and also even the ability to protect during the actual act. Women have way more options than men do, even in that regard. And even if both people, if a guy wears a condom, right, condoms break, right? And so oopsies can happen. And that woman still has the choice, right? So, I'm, and, and the last thing I'll say is, is like, so for example, if two people are drunk and they have sex, it's most likely that the guy could be charged for sexual assault, right? Because the law says that both people have to give consent. And if you're inebriated, you cannot give consent technically, right? But even though both people were inebriated, who do you think would be responsible for an essay charge if it were to be brought, right? So we can't pretend like even consent all from the consent side, all the way through the act, all the way through, right? It is not equal. You all let us in. You know what I'm saying? You say yes. You know we want you, but you have the power to say yes. So I don't understand why we're, we had to talk about Simone Biles and diminishing women's power and shit. And here we are diminishing women's powers when we it are comes not diminishing. to sex. Just so that we could make it seem equal or balanced we're not between diminishing the two. It's not women's the power. <laughs> <laughs> we are not diminishing women's um, power. See how I did we that? are only saying, <laughs> we are only saying that there's accountability and the contribution of single motherhood. Right. If you don't want to have single mothers running around, then don't contribute to the problem is all I'm saying. But also, I would like to point out that you now have two methods because there is male birth control now available, too. Now, it's not often used, nor is it marketed, because most of society believe the onus is on the woman to protect her womb, so to speak. And so but just want to point that out. That there's now two, but women in general do have a lot of options as it pertains to birth control. So I concede to that point. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Look at that. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if people can have these types of disagreements and conversations and come to a mutual conclusion, I think relationships would be better all across the board. Speaking of relationships that could be better all across the board. So Rick Ross's newest boo thing. Okay. I'd have to look her name up. I'll be honest. A lot of times I don't get into these stories, but I thought it was important to bring it up because apparently Shorty has been like on public. She's on an interview and again, forgive me uh, for not having her name, but she was on an interview kind of talking about Christina. her relationship. Christina, yes, that's what it was. Okay. Christina, she was on an interview talking about her relationship with Rick Ross. And I guess she was kind of coming across as if to say, hey, you know, I'm experiencing things these other women have not. Like, I guess, you know, women say they don't compete, but I do think women do compete on some levels, right? Because essentially I felt like she was kind of competing to be the biggest, the, the boss chick, right? She's the one who's reached a higher level with him, even though he's had children with other women. In fact, I think one of his other baby moms dropped a picture of her kid. And then I think the new chick, Christina, had like either commented or reposted or something like that to make it seem like, hey, I already knew about this, right? So anyways, the reason why I bring this up is because I think a lot of times women say they want, um, you know, either rich, powerful, and famous men. But then sometimes when they get them, they seem to always be fun. Fumbling that nigga, right? You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like 
people don't understand etiquette or how to move. There's a lot of cattiness sometimes. I know if it was me and got me a new chick or whatever, I'm not really trying to have her going back and forth with my ex, you know, exes or my ex work, right? A lot of times men want peace and this idea of a woman stirring up trouble so that I got to get a phone call from a baby mom's with whom I have a great relationship, right? So what do you think in regards about this story, but also the larger, broader conversation as it relates to women who say they want a certain caliber man, but may not be prepared for him when she finally gets him. Okay, so low key, I love the fact that she said she was confident um, in her man. So she gave him props. She was confident in her man. And she was not supposedly, I put quotation marks, and even including using the word supposedly, um, looking for drama with his baby mamas. Um, But apparently she did post that picture. But here's what made it messy was that she posted a picture of her and Rick Ross and then said she's gorgeous to refer to the baby. And so, right. So she didn't actually post a picture of the baby. She posted a picture of them and then said she's gorgeous. But in regards to that, specifically i'm like "Mm, it was a little messy and um maybe she didn't have to put that picture of them together but let's be honest because she had found a picture of the baby and posted that and the baby mama not get upset about that or could she have really commented under the baby mama post when she posted that picture of the baby and said oh my gosh she's gorgeous because the baby mama would have got upset about that too and so I don't feel like she was really in a win-win situation when it had when it dealt with this I'm gonna tell you why okay I'll tell you why okay okay so she was damned if she do and she damned she don't right if she says something to the baby mama via social media congratulating that child or congratulating, acknowledging or saying anything, the baby mama still would have took offense. Now, her alternate of posting a picture of herself with Rick Ross was technically a low key reminder (laughs) that, hey, you may have just had this baby, but this still my man. (laughs) And so that was also not a win for her either. (laughs) A win probably would have been. Say again? Not the Moken Steph. He's mine. You may have had him once or had a baby by him one time, but I have him all the time. Not the Moken Steph. <laughs> that's that's a fact. That's what she did. She was like, she was like, look, I'm gonna waste some psychological warfare here. And um the baby mama picked that up. And so the only thing that would have probably been a win for her was if she just congratulated Rick Ross directly. Like, yo, you just your baby, your baby's so cute, you know. And then she could have kept her name out of the baby mama mouth and vice versa and so forth. But um either way it goes, she was gonna be considered a hater at the end of the day. If she publicly acknowledged it in any shape, way, or form, if she didn't publicly acknowledge it, she was gonna be considered a hater. And so I personally felt like she kind of played a role. She was just a little messy with playing it. And in regards to the larger picture, okay, so when you have a I don't wanna say this term. Ooh, ooh, this hurts my heart. When you have somebody who society has determined is a high value man. <laughs> Blame it on society, it, why don't you? It was you? hard for me to say it because, you know, we know who actually coined it. <laughs> and so, um, so anyways, um, but when we want somebody, when you have a society where you want, if you want this rich man, you want this um, so-called high value man, or where you want this person, then technically you do need to have some etiquette. You do need to know the rules of the game, you know? And so I remember in our clubhouse days, we had a young lady who recently got married, who had a high value man, so to speak, and she played a role, you know? And she enjoyed playing her role. And some of the etiquette that she talked about was one, um, you, it was weird, but 
I won't say it was weird. I'm going to say it was weird for me because that's not my life. And so she was like, the the fact that he may not have time for you or the fact that he may have baby mamas or he may actually be even cheating on you or whatnot. But what's the value from this relationship that you want? Is it a transactional value where you want to secure your lifestyle? And so you should be good with whatever he's doing because he secured your lifestyle. And if you're looking for the love, Yeah, he may love you, but you still need to recognize that there are some caveats that come with this man. And so was Christina playing her role? I think she was low-key still. And she was just being a little bit messy. (laughs) But ultimately, from my understanding, all men say they want peace, right? But my question is, when you say you want peace, are you bringing chaos into the relationship? And if you're bringing the chaos, then how can you expect your woman to stay peaceful? Mm. So, I mean, listen, I, I, by and large, agree with most of what you said. Um, <clears throat> I was trying to think. Uh, so when I was living in New York, right, um, I learned very early on that sometimes you can't have everything, right? So if you wanted to live in Manhattan for the location, that means you might be giving up space. In other words, I'm living in a closet, right? So if I move a little bit further out, I'm Pause. not as, huh? Living in a living in the closet. Pause. Pause. <laughs> Thank you for that, right? <laughs> um, but then if I wanted a little bit more space, I gotta move further out, right? And maybe it doesn't have air conditioning. Like this, in other words, you can't get everything, right, to a certain extent. And I think that sometimes women think that they can get everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, if you prioritize his bag, um, the fact that he's famous, it's, it's gonna come with things, right? Even if your man is faithful. Right. There are going to be women throwing themselves at him. Right. He's going to have to still go out to events. How secure are you when he's still the man that he is and he's still showing up for you the way that he is? And he's even like being faithful. But if you can't handle that life, then you're going to be like that person who's always, where'd you go? You know, who you talk to over here? Like, you know, and that's not bringing peace to nobody. Right. You knew what you got into to a certain extent. Right. So I'm not saying that just because a man is rich or wealthy or famous, he's automatically going to cheat. Right. But there are some things to expect with that, right? You're going to have more people in your business and scrutinizing like every move that you make, right? So you said that like she was in a lose-lose situation. No, she wasn't. She didn't have to post shit, right? Yes, people would say or, or surmise, oh, she's being a hater or whatever, but they would not have any proof, right? All they would do is speculate. It is okay to just shut the fuck up, right? People are constantly focused on putting on for the gram, right? If she really sincerely wanted to congratulate this woman because she wants to keep peace in the relationships that her current man has, you go to that nigga. Hey, Rose, the biggest boss. What's up, man? I want to wish your old lady. You know what I'm saying? Is that cool? What do you think the best way to do that is? You know what I'm saying? Can we get on a three-way? Do you mind if you introduce? Like, there is a lot of low-key ways to deal with your different relationship dynamics. And the fact that women or people in general got to bring their shit to the internet, to me, is problematic because it's going to cause chaos. You mentioned if if Rick Ross is bringing chaos, even if he is, you chose to be with him doesn't mean you get uh, to add more chaos to the shit. If anything, a dude may hope that you'd calm his ass the fuck down. I remember when I first dated my wife early on, we went to the mall. A young lady left her credit card in the goddamn ATM. And the nigga in me was like, mm, you know, it's a come up. My wife was like, nah. She wasn't my wife then. We were dating. But she was like, nah, we're not doing that. And I said, you know what? You're right. And I did not do that, right? So she calmed me the fuck down. You know what I'm saying? Even though at the moment I was on my ninja, shit, right? So my point is, is that it doesn't matter. Like, I think if you are a woman out there, you got to know your 
position. You have to play your position. You have to know your place. I hate to say it like that, right? Because guess what? The minute that he decides that he no longer wants to be with you, then you out of there. You know what I'm saying? Especially you ain't got no ring, right? I mean, and let's be honest, chicks who are playing this game are either looking for one of two things, a ring or a baby, right? Mm -hmm. And until you have either one of those, you ain't got nan lick of security in the relationship. So why don't you just play your position? I just think it's stupid for women to feel like they have to constantly fight their beefs over the internet in regards to relationships and for men too, right? But we're talking about the situation, right? So I, I would just advise women, please make sure you understand what you're getting yourself into when you want a certain type of man, right? There's a certain type. Then understand that specific dude, right? Because again, when people say married, you know, rich men or whatever, they may assume all rich men cheat, da, 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 da. That may be the case, it may not be. But for that rich guy or that famous guy, he may not be a cheater. But guess what, though? He might be wanting you to swing from the chandelier three times a day or, hell, five times a day like Larsa Pippins claimed that she was doing for Scottie Pippen and now Marcus. Larsa said she's fucking this nigga five times a day, okay? Some of y'all lazy women out there with your lazy boxes don't be wanting to fuck more than maybe one a day. So guess what? That nigga ain't for you. You know what I'm saying, right? Or maybe you got to be okay with him cheating, Okay, the world is not perfect. It does not revolve or bend to the axis of women, right? It may axis of women, A-X-I-S, versus the access. It's a different thing. I do think the world revolves around maybe the access to women, but not on the axis of women, right? <laughs> it might take See? a little while, not you rest there, but some of our viewers out there, it might take a while for that really to translate and sink in. But the truth of it, of the, of it is that even like James Brown once said, this is a man's world. I think that was him. Right. And especially if you're talking about a rich, wealthy or handsome or any man who some people would deem as high value, play your position, know your place or get the fuck out of the way. OK, because I promise you there's probably a line of women who want that position and he'll do a better job. Right. I'm not speaking specifically to Christina. I don't know her, sis. But if you want to maintain that relationship, cause less waves, look good, serve your man and do what you can to bring the value. That would be my uh, um, advice to her or any women who wants a man like that. You're welcome. <laughs> so there's a strong urge when you talked about the cheating piece of as far as the next woman will do this. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder, I almost wanted to argue back for a second and say, but at, <laughs> to say um, that for the most part, yes, the next woman will do that. But there's also a counter argument to the fact that why I guess, how can I put it? Oh, I got it. So basically, I believe it's a control issue, right? As far okay. as a self-control and discipline issue, if there's, if, and a lack of communication, if you feel that you have to go cheat, right? Okay. I think that we're in a day and time. And, but let me not say that because you know what? To be honest, there's still a lot of people who aren't, who aren't willing to have that open communication and express themselves and tell their partner what their needs are, right? And so, but if you are committed in a committed relationship and you tell your partner what your needs are and they're not meeting your needs, then that then the next step is to cheat or it's the next step to get therapy or what's the next step? Like, is it automatically that you go to cheating? And I'm just asking this because what happened to that communication? Now, let's say you can't communicate with your partner, right? Then perhaps that partner wasn't the partner for you in the first place. And so versus, so why not remove yourself from that situation? Now, I realize that I may be um, approaching this from a her perspective. Which is why we have and, <laughs> and I also realize that, interesting enough, um, 
monogamy technically is something that we choose because of us being higher mammals and so forth. And some men will argue that it's not natural for men to be monogamous, right? It's not natural for that. And so, and so therefore they make this choice. But with that choice comes discipline. And if you're going to make the choice, then be disciplined enough to stick to that choice. And if you're not willing to be disciplined enough to stick to that choice, then have the conversation. Oh, this this conversation reminded me of Clubhouse, how we're talking about how women are moving around high value men <laughs> and somehow it became on the man in regards to whether he's because... cheating. No, no, no. You know what? We we got we gotta go on this topic, okay? Because we're not gonna stay here. This is not on the man, but that's it's why amazing. I said I was hesitant. This I said I was com- hesitant. Now I see why you're hesitant. And I'm sorry for indulging you in that line of commentary because you're on a strike it from the record. It's not relevant to the conversation, okay? We were talking about helping these sisters out here who want a high-value man. Because to be honest, it may even be cheating. The nigga just needs to tell you, yo, I don't, I, I'm going to love you. I can wife you up, but I'm going to fuck some other hoes. And by and large, there's still women who will sign up for that. So while I do agree yes, in terms I of agree. it's important for men to be honest, but this conversation isn't about why men cheat, right? Because poor niggas cheat too. I'm just saying that for women out there who want to bag themselves a high-value man or who have bagged themselves a high value man girl you gotta do better to keep that nigga or you'll be on the outside looking in and the next chick will be talking about how she got further than you did and apparently you don't like that right in other words she'll be Nick Cannon's 13th baby mama (laughs) (laughs) I mean she might sign up for that but yeah I ain't want to gossip so you ain't heard that from me so (laughs) moving on then to the next topic so this (laughs) yeah it should be relatively quick man (laughs) so so Tia Mori, right? So we all know that she, um, I won't even say recently, it's been some time now has passed and she's been divorced. And so we know that the first thing women do when they first get divorced is a new look, new style, you know, new everything. And so, but recently Tia Mori was caught in a back shot. <laughs> and so to be more precise, um, she had her booty cheeks all hanging out on the internet and posted the picture. This prompted multiple conversations about her um, entering a hoe phase, to be honest, and um, which surprised me about the whole face. I know it came out of the blue. I'm going to get to that. Wow. As well as her accusations of her clout chasing and possibly seeking validation and basically acting like a thirst trap. And so this made me think about the larger conversation when post-relationship, what, what are the expectations for the woman? Like, is it okay that she posted this pic? And why was it a problem that she posted this pic? And... But I have a couple more questions, but we'll stop there for now. So I'll I'll say this. I, I, I did enjoy the picture. You know, oh, okay. I mean, you know, she's a cute girl and uh, still gives me like girl next door vibes. You know what I'm saying? Um, I do kind of, I would caution women of a certain age from behaving like women half their age. To a certain extent, I'm not saying that's the case here. It could be possible that she was at the beach wearing a you know a little bikini and decided to post it. Right, cool. But you made that choice to post it. Right. We know thirst traps is a thing. Right. I guess does she have a target for said thirst trap, or is she just throwing a thirst trap out there for anybody who's gonna catch it to a certain extent? Right. Because I do know like women will post stuff with hopes that the guy that they're interested in will see it, maybe remark. So maybe she's doing some like low key flirting that we don't really know about. The question that I would have though is that are there mid to late forty year old men who want their women to be posting their ass cheeks on social media? I don't know. 
I don't know that that's the case, especially if you're talking about, again, a high value man, because it's not like she can just go out there and date anybody. I mean, she could, right? She was married to an actor, somebody who maybe was on her level. So my question for her was, would, to her would be, does she think the man that she wants or ultimately will want would want her to show up in that way? Right. Um, I do get that people go through hurt and, you know, want to seek external validation and so on and so forth. But that would be the one thing I caution because I feel like a lot of times people's movements are not congruent with their desires. Right. They'll do something in the moment because it feels good. Right. And I mean, she could take the picture down and I'm not trying to berate her. And um, I, I just think a lot of people will find reasons. Oh, my God, she's for the streets because she posted a fucking bikini pic like this. Shit, that's the loser shit that I was talking about before. You can say maybe it's distasteful or you can say that maybe a, a mother should not post that. Right. But I mean, even that's a fucking stretch. But to go straight from that to, oh, she's got to have a whole phase. You know what I'm saying? Like if she wasn't a hoe before, just because people go through breakups and want to look sexy and want to be outside. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of times after the breakup, women go through, you know, confidence issues issues, right? And maybe they take some responsibility for the relationship not working out and it takes a toll on their self-esteem, right? And so I do get that sometimes people will do things to kind of get a little self-esteem boost, but there is a danger in relying on social media for that dopamine, right? So I just think you have to be very careful. Um, I'm not going to berate her or downplay her or whatever just because she posted one pic, but I do think that, you know, she can have actions that uh, will get in the way of her finding new love if that's what she's looking for. If she's in her soft girl, soft life, single girl season or whatever. Cool. Do your thing, boo. Um, but I'm sure that when she meets that right guy, she'll probably conform to what it is that he wants, especially if that's who she wants. And maybe she'll delete that picture at some point in time. But for now, though, where's it at? No, where's it at? I'm about to make that shit my screensaver. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. How you doing? Okay, never mind. But go ahead. I'm sorry. So I actually appreciate that perspective. Um, and the reason why is because um, the commentary behind it, you covered most of it, which was that she was for the streets. And I was like, how does one picture automatically equate someone to being for the streets? And then the second thing was that it's, part of it was the disconnect from her being the girl next door. And now they're saying that she posted this thirst trap. you right. Mm -hmm. And then the other part that amazed me was the whole mother conversation. Like there's 20 year olds that are mothers. And so you're saying just because she's a 45 year old mother, mother that she's not entitled to post this picture. Now, here's some more context. The picture was actually from her recent trip to Tom, Thailand, where she was there to get closer to her family and get some R&R. Um, &R. And so she posted a bunch of pictures on the beach. And I'm not quite sure why she felt the need to post that one. <laughs> And and so and I don't even want to guess, but that whole validation, she's for the streets. And as a matter of fact, some men even went so far to say that this photo, this one photo was proof that divorce for older women sucks and that older women obviously needs guidance. <laughs> this was an actual quote. <laughs> matter of fact, let me read it. I mean, it was like is... this photo. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> and said this photo is proof that divorce for older women sucks and this lack of male guidance um, is needed in her life. This woman ruins her marriage for the streets and look where she is now. And so it was like, well, first of all, how do you know she ruined her marriage? And second of all, that it seemed pretty presumptuous. And then the second question was like, well, why does that automatically equate to she's for the streets? And like you mentioned earlier, and so I think this entire perception, and this is another interesting tidbit, 
Did you know she only had one boyfriend? Like she did an interview where she said in her entire life, she's only had one boyfriend. And so there were some people who took that as additional caution to say that this is why she's about to enter her whole phase. And this picture is proof because she's only had one boyfriend and now she wants to explore. And at that point, I was like, women, no matter where (laughs) she literally has a low body count and you're still shaming her for having a low body count, basically. And so at this point, I'm about to be like you in this case. These damn internet trolls. Losers. They're losers. They're, it's not just trolling. It's loser shit, okay? Because, again, you're ascribing things. Listen, like I said about the whole making good thing, I think it's totally fair to have a conversation in general about how difficult, difficult, uh, difficult divorce can be, right? Especially at a certain age. I think even she said that in an interview in terms of being out here in these dating streets, right? So I think that's a legit conversation in terms of divorce after 40 and how do women navigate? Because we hear women saying that out of their own mouths, right? So that's number one. Number two, there is a conversation that we had about the reasons for divorce, right? Because I do think that there is a narrative that sometimes women are just getting divorced because they're unhappy, Right. To a certain extent, they're willing to break up a a happy or they're willing to break up the family structure because of a fleeting thing like happiness to a certain extent. And I do think that there are people who are making that choice also. And that's unfortunate to a certain extent. It's their prerogative. But I do understand men, especially because in divorce, we are the ones, depending on the financial situation, that we may be the ones that are the most hurt by the divorce, right? Whether it's alimony or child support. Because typically while do while men do get um, custody of their children, excuse me, by and large, I think a majority of women end up getting custody, which of course leads to child support. And again, I think financially, that's, that's how men look at it. So they'll say, oh, women are just getting divorced and they're putting us in calamitous situations simply because she's not happy and they're breaking up our happy homes, right? Especially when men were the ones that were being blamed for the lack of a home in the first place, right? So for the men who are saying, oh, we're willing to be there, Right. And this is the reason why we're not willing to be there anymore. Right. They're using these things as excuses to speak to their fears and their concerns as it relates to relationships. So I do understand that. And that totally is legit. Right. But at the same time, we are in a social media space. Um, I think people draw way too many conclusions off of limited information. So to make it about her specifically, like I didn't know she only had one boyfriend. Now, just because she has one boyfriend doesn't mean that's the only nigga she was fucking. She might have been fucking outside of that one boyfriend situation. But again, I'm not trying to cast any aspersions. And the way that she purports herself, by and large, as long as I've been aware of her, has been that girl next door, for the most part, classy. And so now she's getting a little lassy, okay? And and like you said, that might have been one picture, but that says a lot more about us, that if she posted 20 pictures, that that's the one that we chose to focus on, and people just kind of forget that context. You get what I'm saying? So I do think there is a conversation to be had about dating after divorce, right? After your 40s, as a woman, I can imagine how challenging challenging that is, but it's no excuse necessarily to denigrate somebody because I think when you go through a divorce or a relationship, it's like a, it's like a death, right? You have all these different phases that you have to kind of go through in order to really heal, right? So in death, it's like disbelief or grief and then acceptance and all these different things. And so we have to give people the space to go through their different stages post breakup and hopefully they come out on the other side. So I am looking forward to seeing what she continues to do in her career and uh, also interested in seeing who she connects with next. And hopefully she finds love and, um, you know, can move forward in that way. But if not, boo-boo, you know, that we might have some room for you here. You know, I mean. You're you collecting a whole harem. I mean, I'm trying to get my Nick Cannon on, okay? Minus the kids, okay? You feel me? I'm, I'm also a Nick, too. I mean, between me, Nick, and Nicola, we try to just build a whole team over here, okay? But go ahead, though. That's, that's all I have on that.
Anything else you want to say before we move on to the next <laughs> I just think, so I, I I agree that at the end of the day, that regardless if she posted this one pic, that Tia is still Tia. And for people to attack her and um, in this manner and to basically go through these assumptions of who she is or what phase she's about to go to or, or where she is and cast it across all women, so to speak, and make it and generalize it, um, I don't think is fair. And, um, but like you said, if they want to have that conversation about dating after 40 or dating after divorce or dating um, post any type of relationship, right, post relationship, then that's the conversation. And that's where it should be geared towards versus basically castrating this woman, because at the end of the day, it sounded like they were just punishing her for being divorced at the age of 45. Right. And how dare you go post this picture, this one out of all the pics you posted of your family vacation. How dare you post this one picture with your butt cheeks facing the camera? How dare you? And so that's, that's all I got to say. They're, they're mad because not only is she divorced and 40 plus, but she's fine. So let's be honest. If she was grizzly, like the next chick we're about to talk about, <laughs> nobody I'm... would give a beep. Okay. Speaking of the grizzly chick that I mentioned just a few seconds ago, um, <laughs> we're, we're about to. So as we continue to build the his or her spot. Right. We're also kind of toying with the format of the show. So in this last, the second to last portion of the show, we'll talk about, which we, I guess we're calling last takes or last call. Last take. <laughs> last, last take. Call. Our last take. Our last take. You like last take? I like last call. I like right, our we'll, last take. Last take. Okay. Now, the reason why, so this story revolves around the woman who got hit in the face with a brick. Now, I don't remember her name, and honestly, I don't think it's that important. Right. She kind of made her rounds on social media because she got hit in the brick, in hit in the face with a brick, supposedly, right? And the reason why I'm bringing this up was because it spawned a conversation in regards to black men protecting black women. Apparently, after this incident happened, she was outside, outside, and uh, people just was kind of looking at her. Men in particular were just kind of standing by. We didn't have the full details. I don't believe we saw the video of the brick hitting her face necessarily. I think we saw the aftermath, mm. but it kind of contributed to the discourse in regards to men and women, this gender war conversation, because it spawned this whole, like, Oh, black men don't protect black women conversation, right? And so I'm bringing it up because I think it, it impacts us, right? So recently we found out that she's being charged, right? Do you remember what she was being charged for again specifically? Yes, she's been charged with felony by deception. And this is related to her GoFundMe schemes of after these incidents of where she's attacked, she goes and do these GoFundMe schemes and claim that she needs this money, whatever's clever for the to recover from this incident. And so now the law has caught up with her. And yes. so she was supposed to surrender herself to the authorities and she failed to do so. And so now a warrant is out for her arrest. Now, I was initially going to say throw the book at her. Right. But then I'm like, is it wrong for me to say throw the brick at her? <laughs> I mean, you want a brick or a book, you know? I mean, does that make her a brick house if you throw enough bricks at her? But anyway, the only reason, and just really quickly, why I wanted to talk about this story is because this is an example, whether it's this, some of these skits, I do know there's probably truth in that, right? But these situations exacerbated because people cling to them mm -hmm. as if to say, hey, look at this real evidence of what occurred and it turns out to not be evidence at all. Like, let me give you an analogy. If women at that time that that happened want to prosecute black men and say, hey, here is 
evidence, A, right here that you guys don't protect black women. And later on, we found out that that evidence was false, falsified, right? Or it was fruit from the poisonous tree. Guess what? It gets thrown the fuck out and you don't even have a case anymore, right? So I just want people to be very careful when these stories come out to have a certain level of of distance emotionally from it, right? Um, you know, take it with a grain of salt to a certain extent, right? Believe only half of what you see, okay? Because for all the women out there that was sitting there saying, oh my God, black women, black men, da 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 da, you're contributing to the problem. And stories like these that fuel those types of misandrous or misogynistic people who want to participate in these gender wars, it gives them ammunition. Right. Only to find out that she was a liar and she's been lying. Now, she may have been hit in the face. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think she was maybe in a relationship with the nigga who fucking hit her in the face for real, for real. But wanted to make it seem like it was something else. Look, I don't know. And I don't care. Right. And the last thing I'll say on this is just be careful who you donate to. There's a lot of people out here scamming. I low key. I'm not mad at the scam. I'm not. I'm mad at how it contributes to the discourse and the gender wars in our conversations that I think keeps us apart. But as far as the scamming thing, man, scamming been around since scamming been scamming, okay? So I'm not mad at that. But hey, each individual has to be accountable for doing their due diligence before they swipe their card or put their card in there to donate money to somebody who scammed them out of it. If you ain't doing your due diligence, my brother, just chalk it up as a loss. I've been scammed before and I chalk it up as a loss. It is what it is. So one of the main points that I have for this is the whole gender war and how um, this single, this single incident that turned out to be a lie, <laughs> this single incident caused multiple gender wars, not only a gender war between black men and black woman, but a gender war between the black man and the black woman from an African dysphoria mm. um area right so they were using common they, it actually caused a conversation between what they called fba foundational black americans and tethers i believe that's what they were refer to, referring to the mass and so tethers are african um men who and women who present as black so they're considered black and they mm -hmm. benefit when is something that's black overall as far as if there's something that's negative or if there's any um, benefits from like scholarships and so forth, then they say they're black. But if it's something that's specific to their country, then they're like, oh, I'm Nigerian, I'm um, Jamaican, I'm whatever the case may be. And so they wanted to highlight that, first of all, she wasn't even a black woman. <laughs> and I'm like, well, technically... She was, she presented as, she presented as black, but that's not the point. At the time of the case, at the time of this incident, the whole argument was black men don't protect black women. And so some black men, when they dug into it, was like, first of all, this is not our battle. This is not our battle. This is not our fight. She was amongst her people and her people failed to protect her, according to this video. There was only her people present. And so why are black women coming at us when this was not our fight? We weren't even present because we're black Americans. Mm, then on the other point. side. That's a fair point. Right. And so that was part of that conversation. Then the other side of it was where black women was like, well, no matter what, you need to protect black women. You need to protect women. And this is why you guys don't do it. And that was I felt that was actually an unfair conversation because one, we didn't know the whole story Two, when it came out that technically she was amongst her people. And then what does protection look like? Because there was also stories. And once again, we now know that she lied. But there's also stories where she was 
warned, you know, like, hey, don't talk like that. Don't do this. And at that point, were they, was that person providing protection? Yeah. When they say, hey, don't talk like this. Don't do this. Don't do that. Or whatever the case may be. And then she chose to ignore that protection and proceeded as she was. And so my biggest thing with this this whole false story was that it, it contributed to the divide and people ran with it, be it black woman or black man. And I do agree that we need to now start taking the things that we see and hear with a grain of salt. Let's allow some time to come out and investigate because how can we heal this gender divide if we jump at every bit of tidbit that comes out that seems like, oh, that's it. And it validates why we have the gender war. It validates, oh, black men don't protect black women or it validates that black women attack black men all the time, you know, and we, they don't have their back where the case. Let's not jump in on these stories and sharing them so rapidly. And matter of fact, can we start sharing stories where black men and black women are working together? Can we start sharing stories where black women have black men backs and vice versa? Can we start sharing those stories more so than these negative stories that are only intended to divide us? That's a big fact, big, big facts. And that's why we're here. And that's really why I wanted to end it, right? Because had we been around, maybe around that time, and I mean, we're still an up and coming growing podcast, but if we can contribute to the conversation and say, hey, wait a minute, did this really happen? Is this how it really happened, right? Let's dissect this. Let's talk about it, right? I do agree that there's probably some truth in terms of black women feeling unprotected, right? But is it the black men you've been around or are you now casting that to all black men, right? And that's not fair. Mm -hmm. We don't like it if white people do it to us. I don't think that men should do it to women and vice versa, right? So that's one of the reasons why we have these type of conversations, right? Why we have this show. And that's really why I wanted to bring that up because I think it would have been an opportunity for us to kind of, you know, have a really good conversation that didn't automatically go to or go to hell, right? So with that being said, if you guys have enjoyed this episode, even if you haven't and you're still here, then go ahead and do me a favor and like, subscribe, and follow. Do me a hate like. You hate this show, but <laughs> like it like. anyway. Subscribe anyway. I hate these nerds, man. I'm going to follow them. I'm going to share it. Share it and tell us how much you dislike us, okay? So like, subscribe, and follow. We really appreciate the support. It doesn't cost you anything but a little bit of time. And with that being said, as usual, we do like to end the show with the his and hers of the week. Whoop, whoop. So this week, SNM is going to set it off with the hers of this week. Who that is? SNL. So the her of this week is Niecy Nash for her Emmy win. And so I do believe we have a clip for that. So I'm excited. I'm excited for that. And so um, I don't know if I want to have the clip played first and then address the issue or uh, not even the issue, but address certain components of it or what. Let's play the but, clip first. Let's just play the clip first. Okay. Get out the way and then we'll come back on the other side. I agree. This is Niecy Nash's acceptance speech at the Emmys. I'm a winner, baby. Thank you to the Most High for this divine moment. Thank you, Ryan Murphy, for seeing me. Evan Peters, I love you. Netflix, every single person who voted for me, thank you. My better half who picked me up when I was gutted from this work, thank you. And you know who I want to thank? I want to thank me. For believing in me and doing what they said I could not do. And I want to say to myself in front of all you beautiful people, go on, girl, with your bad self. You did that. Finally, I accept this award on behalf of every black and brown woman who has gone unheard yet over-policed, like Glenda Cleveland, like Sandra Bland, like Breonna Taylor. As an artist, my job is to speak truth to power 
And baby, I'm gonna do it to the day I die. Mama, I won! All right, all right. So this, I was so excited to hear her speech and and to see her joy. And but the thing that struck me the most <laughs> was the fact that she thanked herself. And I can appreciate that. And you know why? Because so often we actually don't thank ourselves. We do not take that moment to congratulate the hard work that we put in to get to where we are. And so I appreciate that she congratulated herself. She, you know, she did congratulate other people too. <laughs> you know, she did, well, she did thank other people too. But thanking herself, I think, was a, a big a big step towards appreciating the fact that she put in all this work. And I also like the fact that she gave a nod to that she was typecasted initially and folks was like, she couldn't play certain roles and people took a chance on her and she was able to prove that, hey, I can play whatever role you put me in. And so I appreciate that. But finally, the last thing I really appreciate is her dedication. You know, she dedicated to all the black and brown women that go under her and over-policed. And I think that's important because at the end of the day, if you hear what happened, we just talked about Tia. We just talked about Christina. We A lot of our conversations on the internet is technically a form of over-policing of Black women. And so I give her, so shout out to her for winning this Emmy. I'm super excited. Um, Nick, any thoughts on that before we move to the his? No, I think, well, I I think you nailed it. Um, And I think her speech was amazing. I love the fact that she thanked herself. Uh, I believe I've seen somebody do something similar, but I think hers was really genuine coming from where she's coming from. And actually, I was looking up another name because I really would be remiss if I did not also say shout out to Quinta Brunson, if I remember her correctly. She's a creator of Abbott Elementary, and I believe she won an award that a black woman had not won since 81. So I just want to mention her. Huh? Yes. Right. Because I know they want in different categories and they're both are deserving of the hers. And, you know, you know me, I love women anyway. So if you throw an extra woman up in there, why not? Right. But shout out to Quinta and, it's, and especially shout out to Niecy Nash. I think the difference for me a little bit, not to compare them, but Niecy's a little bit further along in her career and in her life. Right. And I think she had to overcome a lot uh, in mm-hmm. order to even get the opportunities that she did and the perseverance that she had to show. You know what I mean? And she also thanked the people that supported her is amazing. And so I think anytime we as black people do something that hasn't been done for multiple decades or we're acknowledged for the first time, it took a lot of work, a lot of effort, and a lot of people to support us, whether it's behind the scenes and even some people who just gave us the chance and the opportunity. And I think her speech spoke to that. So kudos to her. Shout out to her. And again, shout out to Miss Quinta for winning and doing their damn thing. And as we talk about the his... I was like, speaking of, I feel like our, our our his and hers is coming from the Emmys this this time around, this time, right? Because the him for me is Martin Lawrence. And the reason why I, I wanted to go with Martin, and we talked about it, so we decided to go with Martin, was because during the Emmys, they did like a little a reunion piece, mm-hmm. right? So let's go check out that clip real quick, and we'll come back on the other side. Wow. This is a real moment. Yeah, yeah. Special yeah, you, moment. You right. better believe it, baby. Right. <laughs> we finally about to get an Emmy. What? <laughs> yeah, we getting our Emmy tonight. What? <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, I got my speech on deck, too. Yeah? No, All no. ready to go? No. And no, 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 no. All right? And they better not send Mama D out here to play me off either this year. No, no, no. Carl, 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 we're not winning an Emmy tonight. Please, sit your butt down. Please. Sit. What you mean? Carl. We're presenting an award, not being presented with one, knucklehead. I'm leaving here with something. Okay, no, wait, wait, wait. Paul isn't all the way wrong, you guys. I mean, we should have won an Emmy during our run. True! True! 
Yeah. So first of all, it was great to see the old cast together in one space. Um, rest in peace to Tommy. I believe it's Mikhail Ford, if I'm not mistaken, is his name. Maybe I'm like you and mispronouncing names, but we all know who Tommy is. Tommy without a job. Obviously, he has moved on. Rest in peace to Tommy. But it was really great seeing the core group out there. And the reason really why I wanted to highlight this, because this being a relationship show, it reminded me of a time where we had really great relationship-based sitcoms, right? If you remember The Martin Show, right, him and Gina had been dating for a long time. Both of them were in different places in their careers, right? They had their friend group and all that. And ultimately, Martin and Gina got married. I do understand that there were things that were happening behind the scenes. When you think about the arc, the storyline, right? Martin was struggling, right? Martin was not him at the time, right? He was working at the radio station trying to get his career together. Gina, in fact, was further along in her career. She was corporate. You know what I'm saying? She was beautiful doing her corporate thing. In fact, so was Pam, right? But through the five seasons of the show, we watched Martin grow, Right. We watched him build a career for himself and they ultimately got married. So it just made me nostalgic about those old shows. Um, I kind of fancied myself as a Martin type. Right. I think some of my humor, if you look closely, you might see some Martin, some, you know, different characters. But for me, growing up with Martin, he was impactful to me in terms of my sense of, of comedy and, and my sense of humor. And the show was impactful because low key, I feel like I'm living the Martin and Gina. I low key feel like I have my own Gina. Right. My wife has been more of the corporate person. I was the one I'm on this podcast. In fact, I'm on the mic like Mike, uh, like Martin was on the Martin show. So I kind of joked around that, you know, I was funny and I guess she laughed at my jokes. And so I feel like low key, he's impacted my life in terms of just how I see relationships um, and, and comedy and so forth. So I want to tip my cat cap to Martin and the entire cast, but really it was called the Martin show. So no disrespect to nobody, but shout out to Martin for creating a show that I think still affects people today. There are still people watching reruns of the Martin show. Okay. I still do all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So kudos to Martin for creating an amazing show. And that is this week's his, from my perspective, any thoughts on Martin getting this week's his of the week. So first, I love uh, Martin. Martin. But anyways, and um, <laughs> because it was a relationship show, you saw the struggles. And I can honestly say it's one of the shows that took some of the stereotypes against black men and black women and um, presented in a way that kind of cast them like, no, nah, this is really a stereotype. You know, even though it was presented where like, so for example, the time he ain't got no job, right? May he rest in peace. Or Cole being the kind of stupid jock type with a big fat girlfriend apparently or something along those lines and you know Gina high profile professional and Pam also a high profile professional but you know they actually touched on the colorism a little bit between light skin dark skin and um, I gotta admit one of my favorite episodes was the out of town Gina <laughs> episode <laughs> where Martin has. So but anyways, that's neither here or there. The point is, is that this show, I still watch this show to this day um, at night. I actually watch it like right before I go to bed sometimes just because it's, it's a good show to just laugh at. And I think the 90s was a good time for black families, you know, because you had the Cosby's, you had other shows. Um, what was the show with the different world? Mm -hmm. You had other shows that show black people in a positive light and any show that focused on black relationships was definitely something that I enjoy watching. And especially when we saw upward mobility and upward movement. And so the last thing I would say is that Cole, the person who plays Cole, did you read his hat? Where it said rent them spoons. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I do remember a... that. Rent them spoons. Rent them <laughs> <I> spoons. <laughs> 
And so I and now looking back, I like, you know what? He might have been onto something. <laughs> Because you create the need, right? You give people what you want, but then you create the need and then you solve that problem. And my, I was like, he might have been onto something. He might not have been as dumb as they try to portray him. He was the entrepreneur spirit, low key, that no one gave props to, you know? Mm. And so I'm going to give him props right now for being that entrepreneur spirit on the show because technically he was always looking for a way, I won't say scam money, but to build businesses. And whether they fell through or not, you know, Rent them spoons. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it at that. Rent them spoons. That's funny. You know, towards the end of the show, I believe even Cole was talking about getting married to his girlfriend at the time, mm -hmm. right? So they are definitely uh, relationship based. And we really appreciate uh, Martin for creating an amazing show that even like, what, 30 plus years later. And the funny thing is, like, that was in the 90s. And so I think you mentioned some of those shows, like that wave of shows was kind of kind of sunsetting, if you will, like whether it was a Cosby show or a different world. So Martin kind of came around as like that premier hip hop generation mm -hmm. Comedy that was on television. He even had like people like Big E, Jodeci on there. So Martin definitely did his thing from Def Comedy Jams to that particular show. Like shout out to him, shout out to Nisi, and shout out to Quinta. If you don't already know, we are reaching the end of the show. Um, I want to play a little something, something before we get up out of here. But before we do, you have anything else that you want to say before we chuck these deuces? Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe. And share. Follow again and share. Stay tuned. Drop a comment. And um, we do read the comments. We may we not do. respond all the time, but we do read the comments. So thank you. And we'll see you next time. Peace. I love you. I can't lie to you. Of course you can lie to me. And you will. If you love me and you're going off with Maddie someplace, you're lying to me. Because what the hell do I care about the truth? I care if you're there. Let Billy Holiday say, hush now, don't explain. All right, I accept that. Of course. All of right, course you lie to me. I don't even want to care. What, what does the truth matter? And why are you going to be truthful with me when you lie to everybody else? You lied when you smiled at that cracker down the job, right? Lie to me. Smile. Treat me the same way you would treat him. I can't treat you, you must. treat him. You must. Because I've caught the, I've caught the frowns and the anger. He's happy with you. Of course he doesn't know you're unhappy. You grin at him all day long. You come home and I catch hell. Because I love you, I get least of you. I get, I get the very minimum. And I'm saying, you know, fake it with me. Is that too much of the black woman to ask of the black man?